She asked me to kill the spider. Instead, I get the most peaceful weapons I can find. I take a cup and a napkin, I catch the spider, put it outside, and allow it to walk away. If I am ever caught in the wrong place at the wrong time, just being alive and not bothering anyone, I hope I am greeted with the same kind of mercy. Rudy Francisco. Beautiful, quirky poetry there from the wonderful... Kirsty Mack. And this is Jim McNeish here. And um, we want to talk on this podcast about aliveness and being alive. How do you fancy that, Kirsty? Oh, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm in. I'm <laughs> in. I'm all for having the mercy on the aliveness. So what's been your experience? You know, <laughs> this is a really weird question. What has been your experience of aliveness? Domestic housework. This was yeah. not the answer I expected. Yeah, it, it was on Thursday and um, the guy who does my garden was in and um, I decided to do a little bit of effort in the woods, you know, and tangle a few ivies and make a bower and stuff. Came out, um, I had some socially distancing friends planning coming over that evening, so I swept the patio, I put a fire on, I got it all burned. Um, sun was on me, I got covered in sweat. Um, and um, I knew I had things to do, like emails and, and computer-based things, but I couldn't stop. I then cleaned out the utility room, um, got that all done. <laughs> and, um, and then I had a cold shower, so I'd, I'd really got burned. I have blue skin, so I go from blue to <laughs> scarlet <laughs> in, in the sun. And um, I went in and I had this cold, cold water on my head, um, and I just felt amazing. And I felt like I'd had an amazing afternoon doing what I was driven to do. I was kind of like, I wanted to do those mm. things and I, I did them and I, including just getting a fire lit, including just doing all these other things. And I just felt alive. And um, yeah, so a bit a bit parochial uh, yeah. perhaps, but um, I'm a bit perfunctory, but I, I loved it and I felt very alive. What about you? So I'm, yeah, so I, I'm going to flip the shower so to a hot shower. And the reason, so um, weekend, Billy and I were going to go out for cycles and we looked at the iPhone, other, other phones are available. Um, <laughs> and we, it's Scotland, it's June, it's summer. And it ranged from 40% chance of rain to 100% chance of rain. I always love that when you're in Scotland. Well, like, those are good odds in Glasgow. <laughs> I, mean, I was like, I'll take it. Um, so we thought, right, a cagoule was donned and we were just like, let's go. I mean, it was cracking class outside. <laughs> I got a cagoule. <laughs> Is that a Scottish word? I don't even know. I just always laugh because I remember my mother, who always got the wrong word for things, getting taken out by my auntie Nancy to get her up into the 20th century. And um, they bought culottes and my mother was down <laughs> in the lounge and said, Jim, quick, come, what do you think of my cagoules? <laughs> just wearing culottes. So whenever I hear cagoules, it just says me over the head. Uh, she was so proud as well, standing in there just kind of waving them, what do you think of my cagoules? Oh yeah. I can just pitch it. Oh my god, that is a picture. So, anyway. <clears throat> so Billy and I were on our cagoules cycling away and we managed to dodge it. We were like, mm. we are doing well, people. And then on the way back, <laughs> God said, no, uh, <laughs> you didn't. Uh, 
uh, here, here with half the rain. And people, it was, it was one of those ones where it was horizontal. People were hiding in bushes and stuff going, no, this will pass. Billy and I were yeah. like, this isn't passing. Right? Biblical, so we just yeah. Where the cagoule was wet through. <laughs> and I had to take my contact lenses out when I got in because they had a puddle in them. <laughs> the rain was horizontal mm. and we were, I just remember that full, full feeling of rain just like drenched absolutely the hill was just getting steeper and steeper and it was just brilliant mm. we were like fully in our bodies fully in the moment because it was just concentrate on because we were slipping rain. it was quite windy as well and so but it was awesome and i remember like through the sheen of witness going about like this is great eh? like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> not fully embracing no um, no but when we got in it was so i had a hot shower so i had the flip of your cold shower and it was just like oh this ah, is just beautiful the joy oh it was lush and it wasn't it was aliveness it was being in the moment um it yeah. was cool it was cool yeah well so aliveness, why is it important? Do you know, for me, the term has been important because it combats the pursuit of happiness. Mm. Yeah. I think that's the most dangerous and biggest wasted time in this life is the pursuit of happiness. Sorry to our American listeners. Um, I know it's built into the constitution, but um yeah, I do think it causes a lot of difficulties because when we dualize our world into the things that make us happy and then everything else, I think we devalue a lot of times in our life where we're not happy and yet it's deeply, deeply valuable. You know, there were times on that hill climb when you wouldn't have been happy as your contact lens filled with rain. Um but actually it resulted in a shower, which meant you felt totally and fully alive and present. Yeah. It was like it the is. one created the other. Yes. Um, yes. And so I'm interested in what's the beauty that you'll find in sadness or the energy and anger or the sharpening that occurs with fear. I'm really interested in everything that isn't about happiness. It's still incredibly valuable aliveness and valuable life. <laughs> and could we put more, uh, more love towards those things? Could we actually value them more in our lives because one leads to the other? And I think even worse than just non-happiness things is just those um, mundane things that we just get into, you know, like we kind of try and dampen our experience of everything that isn't happiness-based and then life becomes tedious. It's just this repetition and our practices become meaningless. We're doing these repeating, repeating kind of days and um, days and days can go in it and we haven't really done anything that had any meaning for us. And I think part of it is the avoidance of unhappiness. It's, it's the constant pursuit of just those peak experiences. And I would really like us to, to just incorporate and integrate a lot more of those other things um, so that we're awake and that we're alive and that we slough off all the non-life-giving things rather than all the unhappiness things. That's what we get rid of. I had a, a unique experience. It's, it's amazing how the world's changed from our kind of survival conversations 13, 14 weeks ago mm-hmm. 
to now in that I had a huge deal uh, contract with a large multinational that I turned down. And um, it, it was a lot of money and would have been fine for the next kind of six months. And But um, <clears throat> the energy got sucked out of me when I was dealing with them. I realized there was somebody behind the scenes that I had never met who was controlling the people that would be on it and was controlling even uh, my engagement in terms of how else I'd need to be setting up a company to do it. Um, she was even then starting to control the content and that the program itself was life giving. It was a really, I was really proud of it. I think it'd have been amazing. And then when I started to deal with the kind of the front end of the, the organization, I was getting pushed into a payment deal that I would never have accepted anywhere, but they were a big company and it was a big contract so they could do what they liked. And I just pulled out and I just decided that no amount of money was worth trading in any of my life for. How did it feel? You know, cause, cause that, as you say, we went from survival to that and that's a swing. Do you know what it's been? See if I'd just been in high dudgeon and it hadn't mattered to me, I'd probably have been more worried because I'd have been worried about how much ego was in it. Mm -hmm. But I did a really good chat to Mark about it and mm -hmm. we, we really talked it through and thought, you know, this is not an organization we actually want to be involved in. Mm -hmm. It doesn't favor life. It doesn't favor an engagement where we all get to be present. And so it was sacrificial to give it up. And so there was an element of anxiety. Mm -hmm. But um, so, but it also felt like I was standing for something better in myself. That's how it felt. Um, and and I, I also felt a bit sad towards that organization because I think of the Meg Wheatley quote. Meg Wheatley says, most people have a desire to love their organizations. They fall in love with the identity that is trying to be expressed. They connect to the founding vision. But then we take this vital passion and institutionalize it. We create an organization. The people who love the purpose grow to disdain the institution that was created to fulfill it. Passion mutates into procedures, rules, and roles. Instead of purpose, we have policies. Instead of being free to create, we impose constraints that squeeze the life out of us. The organization is frozen in time. We see its dead and bloated form and resent it for what it prevents us from doing. Ooh. And I, it was a killer. And, and also I was dealing with three people in this organization who were amazing. They were lovely and they were full of passion and vision. But I watched them getting their wings clipped ever so subtly as the thing went on by the whole system rather than let these people have a go at something, just others interfering. Um, and I, I just realized I was going to go through the process with them at half in it. I'd be dissociated from my passion and um, I wouldn't be able to role model the freedom I was going to be trying to educate the leaders into. I would be, I would already have been submitted to the processes yeah. in the system. I think when we compromise, worry or blend in too much, we lose our sense of self. Then whatever we're doing, it's not us that's doing it. Um, <clears throat> My nephews would come round for their Christmas presents on Christmas Day. And um, there'd be me and my mum and dad with their gifts. <clears throat> and um, we'd have, you'd have special things in there, but there's also t-shirts and soft yeah. presents, which they never liked. Kids don't like <laughs> soft, soft presents. Okay. Is that a soft present? You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, it is. Oh, um, it's a t-shirt, it's socks. Mum thought and, um, you did this. 
and my sister-in-law was so wonderful about it. She was like wanting it to be appreciated. You say thanks to your grand for that. And you know, say thanks to your uncle Jim. And they were like, thanks. They had their mind on a, a computer program they got mm. kind of earlier on at the beginning of the day. They just wanted playing on it. And it's a bit like that, being forced to like something, being forced to kind of be in it. And it, it's also that original character damage where you were trying to find out who you were and your parents began to conform you into something they would prefer you to be, like stage three of character development, yeah. that, that tough spot. Um, whereas I've realized that I really, I, I don't care so much about being happy and everything, but I want to be alive in it. I don't mind if it's hard. Like I had some hard work to get done this weekend. There was a lot of things to be done. I didn't enjoy every minute of it, but I was alive in it. And I was choosing it. I was choosing to clean my patio. I was choosing to do the work in the woods. I was choosing to clean out the utility room. I had the choice. Now, these aren't pastimes that I'm going to seek in my life. You know, like at some point when all this is over, (laughs) yeah, no, I'm very sure. As soon as this is over, I'm going to be needing some help here. Um, but, But I think being alive is just about being fully who we are in every circumstance, aware of ourselves, our true self, in what circumstances we find ourselves in. And increasingly that's where I'm at with my clients. Mm. Much more so about, um, are you employing your energy and your life into this rather than is it, have you managed to automate it? Um, and because that's where you get that human endeavor and you get that kind of human brilliance. And mm. I think more than ever, that's really, um, where we need to do the work with the clients. So, so let me ask you that. Um, if you've got a client who doesn't feel alive, if you've got a client who's listless, how do you advise them, Kirsty? How do you get after it with them to help them through that stuff? Well, I mean, there's <laughs> there's some clients that I do wonder if they have a pulse. Um, but there's, <laughs> there's sort of two situations. There's the one... So there's that one about you and the company that you turned down, right? It's the mm-hmm. wrong circumstance and mm-hmm. you had a choice. Yeah. You took that choice. You know, you leave or you try to change the situation. It was the right thing for you to do to leave because it was a soft present. So you made that choice. <laughs> yeah, it you know? was, it was, yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then there's a, there's a point where you had no choice, you know, but so you've made a choice about the company, you've made a choice about your patio, but there can be situations when you've got no choice and you have to control your response. So, mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned dissociation from your experience being a symptom of not feeling alive. So the, yeah. the opposite is true for being alive. You know, we have to reassociate with ourselves. I think a lot of people have been reassociating with themselves yes. through this whole thing. You know, that's why I did home. It was like, you're coming home to yourself. And we're all, as Ramdas says, we're all walking each other home. You know, so there's, there's a number of ways we can do that. It is about getting back to our bodies getting back you know getting back on the bike you know when did you really notice your internal sensations did you notice your level of energy you were talking about energy touch how it feels your muscle tightness the relaxation how your skin feels does it feel like it's resilient or sensitive how your contact lens feel and your eyes how sleepy you feel how alive, how replenished, how hungry, and notice, you know, is that a rumble and where's the rumble coming from? Notice it, be aware of it. And you know where, and I know you say it's like, it's not a transportation device for your head. You know, we, it's a container. 
It's a container for our aliveness. It's you. There's such a often a separation that occurs, and we know that with certain personality types, it can be this real head and body. You know, they never mm-hmm. shall they both meet. And when you have people that get into their body, they're just experiencing more of themselves. And I think it's yeah. that's when you can be. We have access to more of ourselves at that time, you know, actually just by physically being in our body, but we're in flow. We're in flow with ourselves. We're in flow with nature. We're in flow with the environment. We're in flow with the circumstances. So one is back to our bodies. Yeah. Um, I think we've been talking for 15 minutes and we haven't mentioned shadow. And then mention it, Kirsty, quickly. I'm going to right now, Jim. <laughs> Let me mention shadow. We yeah. can get back to our shadows, you know. What are those vital parts of our identity that we've kind of relegated to the shadow? You know, how do we excavate those shame-based elements? How do we bring them? You know, they're our character. They're not the wrongness. They are us. And we know that 90% of the shadow is pure gold. So go mining for gold. You know, get in there, get in amongst it and find it. And, you know, rather than expend any energy and trying to repress it, how about we do the work and get, healthy and aligned i'm i'm really religiously creating a ritual for myself every week to notice the shadow Um, and there's my friends kate and bev from clear thinking i've got these cards and they've got the light side and the dark side and so i'm actually i lay out all the cards on the dark side and i choose the ones like what's what's been the ones that have been with me this week you know oh yeah Oh, that laziness there. Oh, that. And actually being very directive with my thought process of the shadow, then flipping it and saying, well, if I was bulletproof and that being a negative quality on this card, then what did that, what's the gold in that? Mm. Look, it meant I created boundaries. It meant I created, Yes. you know, I, I was like clear about what was and what wasn't. And, and so just uh, making sure that I'm using that practice and learning more about myself and integrating that, which is really powerful. Oh, wonderful. And then back to our passion. Mm. I, you know, what is it that you love? I love that Chinese saying, which is um, old age is not a factor of years. It is the distance you are from your passion. Mm. Do you know what? I love it so much. I'm going to say it again. Um, <laughs> old age is not a factor of years. It is the distance you are from your passion. And mm-hmm. do you know what? We've all been around people that are doing what they love and there's a youngness about them. That's right. There's yeah. an aliveness about them. There's a spontaneity about them. You know, it's knowing what is your heart beating for? What, what creates shining eyes? You know, what do you want to contribute to this life? Be really clear about it and know it and live in it and breathe it. Um, and, you know, we, we hear from many people that it's much easier to die when you've lived fully. That's right. So, you know, live fully. How, leave nothing on the table. You know, when you're, you know, like if you want a dessert, make sure you're eating all the courses because <laughs> you're no getting. I love the soft presence. Love it all. You yes. Know, that's the thing is that often we're just, we don't, and, and you're talking about people, uh, you know, our work is allowing people to feel more alive. I get that. You know, we have experienced people that, it's, I remember working with a guy and he came to meet me and he was in Sitsanem Hotel 
love that brand execution on point and he came in he had this really cool tie on it was a I think it was a Disney tie and I was like Mm -hmm. there is no way you do not want me to mention your tie right now (laughs) and we had a great chat we did some coaching and um he's just he was delightfully he was one of these guys that was um he's quite magical in in how he spoke and uh I really love spending time with him and as we finished and we wrapped up I was staying there I was seeing some more clients he was like right I'm gonna go off I'm gonna go back to the office and he took off his tie and I was Uh, like uh. I don't know if your tie he said they don't deserve this tie (laughs) wow and then I was like oh but that was him that was part of him and he was going into a place that he wasn't giving of himself they weren't getting the best parts of them i just spent this time with this beautiful magical wonderful creature yeah and they weren't going to get all of it and he no. just bundled he rolled up his tie and he put it in his briefcase there's a subtlety isn't there in organizations how they just knock the life out of us sometimes i think i, I was coaching a guy up at Cantle once and he had he was in his mid-50s and he was going to put up another three years of a job he hated because there was a chance of a large exit and therefore a payout uh, worth a, a couple of million. And uh, his wife was ill and he was spending not much time with her. And um, his boss was a nightmare. His boss was like really harsh and horrible. And I'd met him and, and like, I just thought, oh my goodness, what are you doing? And um, he said, look, it's only three years to put in. And then we could possibly get this couple of million and that's a set up and we're, we're done. Mm-hmm. I was like, A, you might not. And B, here's a bet, is if you were on your deathbed and somebody came to you and said, you've got these millions in the bank, give us 75% of it and I'll give you three years of your life back when you were in your 50s. Mm-hmm. Do you know what? There'd be scorch marks on the carpet as you ran to get the checkbook. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's the kind of key term. Truth of the matter is, is that company stayed underwater. It didn't work and nobody got a payout. And he wasted another, it was only about a year and a half and then he went. But um, I was like, oh my goodness, what we trade in, in terms of life for the sake of something else. And our organizations in some way make it as if that's all right. That's how we should be thinking. It's like, there's nothing more valuable than your aliveness. Nothing. Today, there's nothing more valuable. I think more people are realizing that through this time is just actually what have I traded in? What parts of me have I traded in to go mm-hmm. into work, to get on the tube, to do the thing, to have the conversations that are non-life-giving? Yeah. Um, and that's where the people are starting to speak up. It's have a different conversations, is actually create different agreements. Is about this has not been working. So how about we just rethink about what this this whole experience has actually worked really well so how do we continue that and how do we learn from it how do we rather than us going through that let's grow through it and that's that's the opportunity i think the other thing is going back to your pain you Mm. know so yeah going back to your shadow going back to your body also going back to your pain and your passion so pain is not in itself bad it's it's an indicator of resistance. It's a signal. It's it's information. You know, it's not bad to have a baby. <laughs> it's you know that's I hear it's painful, um, <laughs> but it's not bad. So you yeah. know, if we're going through a big healing process, it can be painful. If we're growing, it can be painful. And I think all of us, in some notion, have, have felt an element of that through this. Um, but if it's meaningful, we're fine with it. 
we're fine with it. You know, when we're unable to make meaning of it, it's called hurt, you know, and yes. we dissociate from it, you know. So what is the point of going through it? And we can have increased dissociation, we can have suffering, we can have misery, we can have ag- agony, and then numbness. Yeah. You know, and, and life has pain in it. I was even speaking to my brother this morning and he was going through a process and he went, I knew it was painful, but I thought, I'm going to go with this because there's something about, I'm realizing that the pain is going to give me access to the other stuff. And yes. I was like, oh. There you go. There's oh, <laughs> if I could give you a high five in New Zealand, <laughs> I would. Um, <laughs> and I think it's, it's about embrace the learning of the pain and, and process it, you know? And, and I think, I think that, that that's what we can do. And that's what being alive, you know, being alive, staying alive, I guess what we're saying is it's no longer using our privilege or our money to somehow dissociate ourselves from pain because that just ends up in numbness. That ends up in mm. being lived. That we lose all that. There needs to be risk, there needs to be adventure, there needs to be vision, there needs to be desire, learning, growth. The whole panoply of emotions need to be there coursing through us. And one experience refreshes the other. You know, it's like, like if you have a time of unhappiness, then the happiness is all the sweeter. If mm-hmm. you've been on a cold mountain with hot rain battering your face, mm-hmm. the warm shower is all the sweeter. When your blue skin is sunburned and you put it under a cold shower, it's just alive. It's like, it's those transitions and those shifts that the aliveness is in. It's not in the arriving. It's in the constant flow of different experiences, one refreshing the other. That's the aliveness, isn't it? Yeah. And I think it's, it's life is seasonal. You know, I mean, albeit that the rain is horizontal just now, we're loving the long, warm nights, you know, yeah. and, and because with the cold, dark nights of winter. Um, so we've got that comparison and every year we go gosh isn't that amazing it's still light look how light it is it's amazing <laughs> we, like, do, we do we take <laughs> photographs of it and stuff like that it's like, like it happens every year <laughs> seriously it's 10 17 right now in scotland and look at it look at it i've said those texts i've said those texts <laughs> yeah <laughs> But that's aliveness, though, because we're just present and going, oh, how delicious. <laughs> I can't believe it. Seriously. I mean, I wonder what it's like down south right now. So it's just it's hilarious. It's seasonal. It's because it's seasonal. Yeah. Like, I spoke to a friend of mine in Geneva who is a cynic, a through and through cynic, who was saying that he took his partner to a restaurant. He said, normally you'd go to a restaurant because you didn't want to cook. Like they're traders, they can afford to do it whenever they want. And he mm. said, but this was like a first date because the restaurants had just opened after 12 weeks. Mm. And it was the comparison that and he said, it was beautiful and brilliant. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the food. I enjoyed her company. And because it was fresh and new and, and it, it had a comparison. I love that. You, so I think, you know, maybe we've used our money or our privilege to anesthetize, she says really confidently, um, <laughs> from the real world. We, you know, things have been important. Mm-hmm. Objects have been important. You know, there's there's people, we, you know, we've, even when I was thinking about my dad's 80th is coming up and um, even I had birthday, you had birthday in lockdown. It's like, I had a very strong sense that I didn't want things. I was just like, actually, I just, you know, I'm, I want the experience of, 
of being if, if I can be with people that I love then great but if there's a little tiny circle of the people that I love can I be with them and is you know we've even seen that real sort of um bridge between celebrities and non-celebrities during this time frame is just that that sort of privilege is is numbing the senses I think you know we've we've done things we've we've numbed the senses and if we have these two categories of happiness and unhappiness you know why wouldn't you pour your resources into pleasurable activities Mm -hmm. but you know you've got people that you know I've done it we've got people have got you just you're bored you know, mm. you're looking for meaning. I might get it from the car or I might get it from the this or I might get it from the, you know, and it's a dualistic term and it only exists, as you said, when we have unhappiness. We need it, you know, we need both sides of the coin. And yeah. um, that's why the aliveness is is so important. I do. Yeah. And I, I think for leaders, coming up for leaders, they're going to have to get smart to this. If we're looking at what leadership mm. looks like in the future, it is going to be that... The money or the ladder or the one thing on top of another is no longer what people are going to be after. They are going to be after meaning making. They're going to be after seasonality. They're going to be after striving and then reward. Um, You know, I think that idea of privilege is really important just now. Mm. And I watched a, a documentary, an excellent document called The School That Tried to End Racism. It's a BBC okay. documentary. Oh my goodness, it's so stunning. Um, and they've got BBC, a bunch of 10, 11 year olds, and they educated them on systemic racism. And they did that one, I've seen it a few times now, where they start all the kids on the same starting line and say, you're going to yeah. have a running race. Yeah. Take a step forward if your parents both speak English as their first language. Um, mm-hmm. Take a step backwards if you've ever been the only person of your ethnicity in a room take a step forward if you have never felt somebody was suspicious of you because of your ethnicity, you know? And so eventually it all plays out and then your little kind of white Caucasian kids have only got like 10 yards to run and cross the line and win. And then you've got others who are 150 yards back who are kind of crossing over. And it just really brings home that idea of, of privilege. And so they did these kind of exercises with them where they explored it um, and it was very moving. But the bit that was really striking for me was towards the end, they had them all, all the class was in the room and they said, listen, we've put four stars under random seats in this room and whoever has a star is going to get a present. And so all the kids immediately under there and, and four stars came up. And it was a mixture. It was it was um, all you know. You had some of the Asian kid. One of the Asian kids had the star. A white kid had the star. A black kid had the star. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like um, they they were all there, and um, and represented. And then they were given a beat, a set of beat headphones, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, and and none of the kids enjoyed getting the gift. It's like the notion of unmerited privilege had been sickened in them it was no longer that idea of I just need to strive for it and go for it myself and hope that I'm going to get it that had been taken away mm-hmm. and um and so they were saying why don't we all get one or why don't none of us get it and and I, I love the fact that um these kids were starting to get educated that when there is unmerited privilege in that way then there is also unmerited disadvantage. Mm. 
at the same time this happens they'd started to get the two sides of the coin they'd started to get the seasonality and, they got and it, it, it was there and they got it in the muscle it was so amazing to watch part of me was so sad that they weren't just hey i got my thing yeah, yeah. but um part of them also were just really suspicious now of unmerited privilege I think, you know, we want meaning. We want energy, focus, purpose from activities. And and that's that's what, as leaders, that's what we need to do is learn how to not, you know, not to dampen the spirit of people that are getting meaning, that are getting purpose. And going back to Meg Quickly's quote and put it into a process and a policy. And um, it's about how to work with the soul, how to, how to keep the spirit alive. And, and even with online working, that needs to be looked at. It'll need purpose. You know, we have just, we've taken, you know, meeting and put it online. And how do we create purpose for it? Happy hour team builds can become just as repetitive <laughs> and listless as meetings. And so how do we create purpose? How do we create momentum? And it has to be that it's not a breakaway. I remember seeing a magazine article once about, it was a criticism of those organisations that have the foosballs tables and the table mm -hmm. tennis on the go. And they were saying, the message you're sending your employees then is, why don't you have a break from the boring work to have fun? As opposed to, why not make the work purposeful? Why not make the work mm -hmm. meaningful? Rather than, this is a message that says you get to get away from your desk. It's like, why not put more meaning there? Um, yeah. And, and, and actually give them more of those absolute meaningful pieces of thing. I remember uh, I looked after a, a large part of the BP projects teams in, mm -hmm. in Sunbury, and we had this crusty old bunch. Everybody else had done a team build, and they said, well, we want a team build. And I was like, well, why? <laughs> I mean, you just don't like being around each other, and you don't have to talk to each other that much anyway. It's like, and they're like, no, no, everybody else has got one. We're entitled. So I had a relationship with a school just up the road for predominantly um, adults with Down syndrome. And I said, okay, well, I've got an idea. Um, you're going to take that class to Chesington World of Adventure for the day. And they were like, oh, right. I said, and just, I said you know, notice how it works. And um, I'm not sure if you've been around people with Down syndrome, but they tend to be a little bit like unblocked in terms of how they show you affection. And so they, they just melt you and, and, um, and obviously there's diversity, but like as a, as, a, as a group, they tend to be quite affectionate. And so when they got on the bus, I was up the back seat and they all ran up because they knew me and they did a pile on on top of me like, <laughs> and they were laughing. And you could see all the engineers just clenched. <laughs> so uncomfortable. <laughs> it was really funny. Um, but by 11 o'clock in Chesington, I also saw one of the engineers who had, uh, was, had taken the hands of two of the, the guys and he was walking with them. And then there was, a, there was some vomiting at lunchtime, I remember, a bit of overeating and stuff and that had to be managed, but that was all great. And what I thought was just beautiful though, was they did love it, the engineers, and four of them kept in touch with the school and kept going back and formed a genuine relationship. And, there was aliveness, there was meaning in it. There was something beyond ticking a box around team building um, mm -hmm. because it had a challenge in it and it had a messiness about it and it had an organic, natural kind of relational element that was just beautiful. 
Yeah, I think for leaders, it's about noticing how energizing are the relationships. You know, we need to be as leaders fully alive in ourselves and that we are connected to an energy source. And whether we, you know, we've got some rituals, whether it be through family, a sport, whatever it might be, that keeps us motivated. And then that allows the aliveness in others to come through. And then as you say, you know, as leaders, we don't really need <laughs> skills coaching. Maybe they just need to get life back. Maybe I think we've just run out of energy of repetition and stress and all of that machine living. You know, I think more of our interventions now could circle around providing energy and giving leaders energy to give away. And we need to be alive for that. In the heart, is cut or cracked or broken do not clutch it let the wound lie open let the wind from the good old sea blow in to bathe the wound with salt and let it sting let a stray dog lick it let a bird lean in the hole and sing a simple song like a tiny bell and let it ring let it go let it out let it all unravel let it free and it can be a path on which to travel Michael Lunick.